Hello and welcome to The Next Year in Payments, a podcast series brought to you by Linklaters. Financial services firms are always on the lookout for ways to make cost savings, and those savings are often found by outsourcing some of their activities to third parties. Given the number of new entrants to the payments market, it's no surprise then that we've seen a huge increase in outsourcing arrangements in the payments sector. But of course, relying on a third party to perform important tasks is fraught with risk, which is why the European Banking Authority has recently set out guidelines on outsourcing which apply to payment institutions in the EU. My name's Jean Price and I'm joined by Arjun Lakhani to discuss the impact of those guidelines for the payment sectors and some of the key points that payment institutions should be thinking about for the year to come. Thanks, Jean. Outsourcing is definitely one of those topics which will just keep on coming up over the next year or so. One reason for this is the EBA guidelines. Firms have until the end of 2021 to review and update all their existing outsourcing contracts to bring them into line with the new standards. But another reason is operational resilience. Outsourcing and reliance on third parties generally is an important element of the regulator's focus on resilience in the payment sector, a topic which we're actually covering in our webinar next week. That's right. There are plenty of reasons why a firm might want to outsource key parts of their processes to a third party. And to be clear, it's not always about reducing costs. For example, it might be to take advantage of technology, which provides more customer-friendly interfaces or frictionless customer journeys. But whatever the reason, the critical point to bear in mind is that you need to closely and actively monitor the quality of the service you're receiving and have a plan in place that can swing into action immediately if the third party either fails to provide those services to the required standard or at all. It's worth pointing out that the proper management of outsourcing arrangements isn't a new thing for payment services firms. There are already rules on outsourcing in the directive and, for example, in the UK in the payment service regulations themselves. But the new EBA guidelines, which came into force on the 30th of September this year, are more detailed than what has come before. So the question then is, what should payment firms be doing differently now that they need to take the guidelines into account? Well, to my mind, there are three key themes from the new guidelines for payment firms to consider. One, how they identify and classify their outsource arrangements. Two, their internal governance arrangements and personal responsibility for those arrangements. And three, any intergroup arrangements that they might have in place and which they need to consider in light of the new guidelines. The good news for payment institutions is that all requirements set out in the guidelines are subject to the principle of proportionality. So in applying them, firms get to take into account all their activities, their size, and how complex their business actually is. In other words, it isn't one size fits all. So let's unpack each of those elements. For each outsourcing arrangement, firms need to decide first whether the arrangement is in fact an outsourcing which is subject to the guidelines. Then, if it is, they need to decide whether what's being outsourced is either a standard function or a critical or important function, because those are both treated very differently. I think we're all clear that gardening and catering contracts aren't outsourcings, but the guidelines confirm that things like market information services and correspondent banking services are not outsourcing, and that's helpful. Once you've decided something is an outsourcing under the guidelines, it's not always easy for firms to differentiate between the different types of outsourcing, is it? No, that's right. It's actually a real mixed bag, and it gets way more complex when the agreements are with third parties which undertake a wide range of activities, some of which might be considered critical while others aren't. Firms need to remember that if they outsource something which they are required to do to meet their regulatory obligations, 
then the starting point is that it will be a critical or important function. This means that the arrangement needs to be considered very seriously indeed to ensure that the firm can properly monitor and manage the outsourcing and if necessary to terminate it. So, given the significant difference in the requirements, it's very important that firms are able to properly identify which category their outsourcing agreements fall into. They won't want to spend the time and resource managing a standard outsourcing to the standards required for a critical or important outsourcing. And this is especially important given the focus on personal responsibility of senior management for the firm's internal governance arrangements. Yes, governance really is a crucial element of these guidelines. Of course, just like how a firm can't outsource its regulatory responsibility, senior management can't delegate their own regulatory responsibilities either. So when a firm outsources an activity, especially one which is considered critical or important, it is vital that there is effective day-to-day management and monitoring of that arrangement. This should include setting up an outsourcing function or designating a senior member of staff who is directly accountable to the management board. That lucky individual is then ultimately responsible for managing and overseeing the risks of the firm's outsourcing arrangements. Lucky individual indeed, and it's not a job to be undertaken lightly because we've already seen the FCA take action in relation to outsourcing failures in the payment sector. In that enforcement action, the FCA specifically called out the failure to identify critical outsource services and to understand how those services were provided. They were also critical of the failure to ensure that the third party had proper business continuity and disaster recovery arrangements in place. On top of that, the outsourcing agreements didn't have proper service levels agreed and the ongoing monitoring was flawed. In fact, there were failures in just about every element of properly managing an outsourcing arrangement. Yes, that's true, and it was customers who suffered. When there was a complete failure of the services on Christmas Eve, it left over 3,000 customers unable to use their prepaid cards and their charge cards, and the majority of these customers were seasonal workers whose weekly wages were paid on these cards. Looking back, the fine which the firm received was just under £1.9 million, but this may have been dwarfed by the costs of actually setting things right. So, all in all, being the lucky person who's designated as being ultimately responsible for managing outsourcing arrangements is, in fact, a difficult job, especially for those firms which operate on a largely outsourced model. It's not a job I would fancy. One thing that they will need to be clear on is setting their priorities for the years to come. And what those priorities will be will depend a lot on the size and type of the firm. In our experience, we have seen significant differences in how well payment institutions manage their outsourcings. For some, the first task will be to undertake a complete mapping of the outsource arrangements so that they can be absolutely clear who is doing what and when the arrangements are due to be reviewed. Others will already have done that but will need to consider whether their existing arrangements are sufficiently robust, especially for those dealing with critical or important functions. This includes making sure that they have the relevant controls in their contractual arrangements ensure that they can actually oversee and manage those arrangements. Yes, and I've seen recently in practice that this can be something of a challenge where outsource providers really don't want their clients interfering too much in the way they do things. So imagine a firm which is using a single operational model to provide services to multiple firms, especially one which itself outsources activities to other providers, creating a potentially long outsourcing chain. Those firms are likely to see some real challenges to their existing business models where regulated payment services firms are getting far more controlling both about the way activities are carried out and about the sub-outsourcings that take place. 
Another factor to bear in mind is where the activity is actually taking place. We regularly see outsourcings where the provider is in a low-cost jurisdiction, where the outsource provider is another member of the group, but based in a different jurisdiction. This can make good economic sense most of the time, however firms need to be clear on what is and what isn't permitted. Where the service provider is outside the EU and the outsource activities would require authorization, then they can only be outsourced to that third country where there's an appropriate cooperation agreement in place between the home regulator and the regulator in that third jurisdiction. So for us in the UK, that means arrangements must already be in place between the FCA and the relevant non-EU regulator of the outsource provider. Absolutely. And picking up on your mention of intergroup arrangements, from what I've seen, the position isn't actually that much easier where the activities are outsourced on an intergroup basis. From the regulator's point of view, intergroup arrangements aren't necessarily less risky and they also need to take into account inherent conflicts. And let's remember they're subject to exactly the same regulatory framework whether the other group member who's providing the services likes it or not. Yes, and it's important to bear in mind that for critical or important outsourcings, decisions to use an intergroup arrangement need to be based on objective reasons and be at arm's length. In practice, this is not that easy for a firm where it is outsourcing to a parent or sister company. While intergroup outsourcing can be cost-effective and efficient, it has to be balanced with the fact that the firm retains the right for properly managing the relationship and the activities done on its behalf. Yes, and in my experience, dealing with recent cases, the position is worse for intergroup arrangements. They're often more poorly identified and documented than those with third parties, probably because it's all being kept in the family. But that's a false comfort, giving the responsibility on senior management to manage the arrangement. For some payments firms, there's going to be a fair bit to do to ensure that their arrangements are all compliant and fit for purpose if the regulator comes calling. And in terms of the EBA guidelines, the clock is already ticking. Any new outsourcing agreements already need to comply with the guidelines. But the hard work to come for payment institutions is likely to be assessing all their existing outsourcing agreements, which need to be updated in line with the new guidelines by the 31st of December 2021. If, for any reason, the review of outsourcing arrangements of critical or important functions are not finalised by then, it needs to be reported to the FCA along with the action plan for either completing the review or the exit strategy. So then, plenty of work for the person with ultimate responsibility for managing outsource arrangements to be getting on with. That's all we've got time for today. Do get in touch with us if you have any questions or feedback on outsourcing or any of the other topics we're covering in this series. In the meantime, thank you for listening and goodbye.